This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of March 21st, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 315 of Defender Radio. They once defined the great prairies of North America. Buffalo herds numbered as high as 50 million animals before European settlement began. And after centuries of devastation and near extinction, their numbers remain low. No more than 500,000 buffalo remain, and many of those are farmed. In Yellowstone National Park, one of the last wild herds roams. 7,000-some buffalo who want nothing more than to live as they were meant to. But their lives are full of obstacles. From the impact of ranchers grazing their animals on public lands, to outdated and potentially cruel herding techniques, the last buffalo of Yellowstone faced dangers most of us would never imagine. A pending documentary, Herd, is set to explore these issues and tell the stories of the buffalo. Currently in its Kickstarter campaign, Herd's trailer shows just how powerful this film might be, the equivalent of what Blackfish did for orcas or Cowspiracy for livestock. To discuss the project and what's needed to make it happen, Defender Radio was joined by filmmaker Justin Keetzer. This, this project, Herd, it seems very grandiose, very large. How did you get into this? Where did the, the motivation to even think about doing a project like this come from? Um, me and my partner here, um, we make a lot of short films around Bozeman. We did like uh, a narrative piece on the farmer's market and all kinds of stuff. And we've wanted to move into something a little larger. And we work... Um, just kind of like tossing ideals around and we saw that there was a protest by the Buffalo field campaign here and they were coming, they were doing their week of action. That's where the Buffalo field campaign travels around and just, they try to make everyone aware of the Buffalo um, kind of what's going on with the Buffalo in Yellowstone since not very many people are aware. So we went out to film that and they seem to like us and we seem to like them. So we spent actually a good portion of the day just chatting with them and found out what was going on. A lot of their higher ups showed up. Um, there's a guy named Steve Kelly here in town who is very involved with the Buffalo and other Rocky Mountain projects who actually spends time in DC trying to pass laws and whatnot. I can, I actually have an interesting story about him. I can tell later, but, um, so we really found out what was going on, went home, did some research, and we knew something was happening with the buffalo. My partner's wife is um, really involved in the wild horses, and it's actually a very similar issue. It's almost exactly the same, really, when you kind of look at it. And we just thought something it was something that people need to know about. Um, so we did a little research. I called like some family and friends on the East Coast and the West Coast and kind of quizzed them like, have you ever even heard about the buffalo calling? And they had no idea that it even happened. So it's a project that we wanted to dive into. And 
we started interviewing people and those people led us to more people and we just kind of went down the rabbit hole and somewhere along the way realized this is a big enough topic to do a feature length film on. So that's how we ended up here. All right. And, you know, it, it was interesting because when you first reached out to us, I uh, I took a look at the trailer and it, it looks fascinating. But I realized, and I was talking about this with my fiance, that the both of us, having, having grown up in Ontario, southern Ontario specifically, um, the only reference to Buffalo that we could think of came from early educational stuff, talking about the Buffalo of the Great Plains, just kind of basic Canadian history. Um, and then as an adult, the only reference I knew was the uh, the the brief connection to the the American military's uh, attempt to solve the quote unquote Indian problem in the 19th century? Other than that, I know so little about these huge animals. Um, in terms of their natural history, and I, I recognize you're not you're not an expert on this, but um, you know how do we go from this animal that marches in in thousands across? the Great Plains of North America to the point now where we're looking at, uh, I, I think the number is around 4,000 purebred wild American buffalo left. Yeah, so I'm not actually that familiar with the history, but my understanding is they basically were hunted to near extinction. And when the um, Yellowstone National Park was established, they decided that it would be a haven for them. And they were originally supposed to just have a actual herd there. And along the way, the um, local ranchers and the BLM and all these groups got involved and somehow along the lines decided that there should only be 4,000 buffalo, which is kind of crazy. Um, they've pretty much turned into nothing but a tourist attraction. Um, they're basically there just for a show. It almost seems like if APHIS or the USD had its way, they'd just be gone. Well, that seems to be the attitude of uh, of a lot of those organizations down there. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, what really surprised me was the pervasiveness of the livestock industry in this. And, and supporters of ours, and again, the, this is not something that we necessarily look at as, as a campaign or a direct issue. But we've spoken with the producers behind Cowspiracy. Um, we've reached out to other groups like that and had them on the show and in blogs. Um the, the size and pervasiveness of the livestock industry, is that something you, like when you started this, were you kind of familiar with that? Or did it come to you as it did to me personally, just in absolute shock at the power these people have? Yeah, I really had no idea. Um, growing up on the East Coast, when you go to a national forest or a national park there, it's just a park. When I came out to Montana six years ago, um, I was spending a lot of time in the mountains. I lived up in the mountains for a little while because I just they're gorgeous. And one thing I noticed is I'd be out riding my bike in national forest land. It's very clearly defined. And all of a sudden there's just a fence and a bunch of cows roaming. And I think that's something that people aren't really aware of, that the attitude around here by the ranchers is that national forest and BLM is theirs to use, that they can run their cattle on their land and then when their land is chewed through they can move it on to the BLM land or the national forest land and chew through that land and the USDA and BLM is completely supportive of it they charge them I think it's a dollar eighty ahead per year and which is pretty cheap I mean that's a lot cheaper than buying hay hay is expensive out here and so these ranchers and ranching groups and 
APHIS and all these groups are just lobbying and keeping it this way. And they're keeping the population of other animal groups down. They're killing buffalo, they're killing sage grouse, they're killing wolves. I mean, it's getting worse and worse. And I don't think anybody's aware of it. The fingers of the livestock industry, they just go so far and everywhere. And it's, it almost seems like something that people are scared to talk about. When we were getting our film permit for Yellowstone, talking to some of the Yellowstone um, actual employees, they wouldn't even acknowledge that it was even a thing. They, we went to the um, field day the other day. It was a media event where they showed us the processing of the bison. So every year they take all of the bison, or they drive herds to Gardner, which is northern Yellowstone, and they take them up to this processing facility. And basically they take whatever they can up there, process it, they put it through a squeezer, and which basically just holds a cow or a buffalo in place, take blood, and then babies, pregnant females, they all go into a pen and get shipped off the next day. And I was just trying to talk to them, and they would not acknowledge at all that it had anything to do with the livestock industry. They were just saying it's population control, and they're trying to keep brucellosis from spreading to other animals in the area. So that's all they would say. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't even acknowledge. So the wool is either pulled over their eyes or they don't want to admit it. I'm not sure with the park staff, which it is. So, well, and, um, the brucellosis is a, uh, it's a bacterial infection. Um, and it's, it's interesting just looking at very quick stats right now. Uh, I have heard of it coming up and I think it's, for reference for, for some supporters and listeners, it's very similar to uh, that type of tuberculosis that they're saying badgers bring around with them in the UK and therefore they need to call. Um, it, it, it's actually uh, rare for brucellosis to, to show up in the US and fewer than 200 people get sick from the disease in the US. Um, and they like, it's just, it's one of these things where it's really not that much of an issue, but they're using it as a wedge to get uh, get things they want. Um, and then what what else is interesting to me is that the buffalo herds are roaming out of the parks. And this is something we see with provincial parks in Canada as well. Uh, particularly for us, it's with trapping. They'll say, well, you can't trap in this park because we've got important animals like, you know, certain types of wolf or or what have you. Um, so, okay, you can't trap, but the second they cross that line outside of the park, it's fair game. All of those protections are gone. Um, and it seems very similar to me in the case of these, uh, the, these, uh, Buffalo. So again, to me, it's sort of, how do you respond to that when you see it as a fellow Easterner, uh, and you sort of, you walk out here and it, all of these things that would seem logical are just not there. Yeah. It's kind of funny when you come to Montana, <laughs> The amount of land, um, not just Montana, any of these central corridor states, the amount of land just will blow you away. I mean, you can stand on top of just a hill and look in every direction and there's nothing but grass. Um, so when you see these ranchers and the um, APHIS people killing these bison, it's just, it's kind of hard to even process. It's like, I don't know. It's hard to even understand why they're doing it. There's no shortage of national park around here. I mean, Montana is a humongous state. It's the third largest state. And 
there should be more of these. I mean, they should really be allowed to travel around the same way the elk do. There's actually um, some local nonprofits that will build um, buffalo proof fences for free. And the ranchers don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to have any kind of excuse to even have them around. So it's really hard to understand. Um, it's not anything set in stone, but all the experts we've talked to seem to think that elk are next um, with the brucellosis thing. It wouldn't surprise me. We see the same kind of thing happen here. Uh, you know, in one province, we've got to go out and kill all the moose because there's too many of them and it's causing a problem. And then, like right now in Ontario, um, the big thing is, well, the moose are sick from these ticks. So rather than stop hunting them, we're going to just maybe not hunt quite as many and start hunting more wolves and coyotes. Yeah. And that logic just goes like unquestioned by government officials. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, when I was new to these issues, I probably spent far too much time sitting and banging my head against the wall trying to figure it out. <laughs> and when you've got a documentary like this, to me, it seems like a great opportunity to really lay out some of this information so you can see that chain of logic as, as skewed as it may be from where it starts to where it ends. Yeah. Uh, is that sort of one of the things you're hoping to achieve with this format? Oh, absolutely. Um, the more experts we talk to, the like the deeper the rabbit hole just keeps going and going. Every time we interview someone, they give us five more people to talk to. So we just we're really hearing the entire story. One of the goals we have is to go to DC and talk to these people making these laws. And I'm curious if they even know the repercussions of some of the laws they pass. I would be, I'm curious if we talk to some congressmen and they even know that buffalo are being culled because I have a funny feeling that they probably don't. And the laws they're passing are causing these things to happen. Well, again, it's you get a lobby group saying you need to help us protect our, our livestock from this disease. So sign this bill or this, this piece of legislation. They say that sounds good to me and I don't want to piss off these voters. Um, and they, they simply don't know what it means. And one of the things that really shocked me, and I've seen a lot of crap online now and in, in real life is, uh, the, the footage you have of, uh, a newborn being dropped out of its mother. And then what I would imagine is within, within a day or two being chased by a helicopter and men on horses with guns and forced to run for miles and miles and miles. I cannot believe that the American public would be okay with that happening if they knew. Yeah, so a lot of times they do something that's called hazing. Um, that's basically they use helicopters and snowmobiles and dirt bikes and quads and men on horseback to drive the buffalo back into the park before the kill day. So a lot of those are park rangers and... It just so happens that the kill day is a couple days after these buffalo start giving birth, which is not the best time to do it, but they don't seem to really care. So, yeah, I mean, these mothers are giving birth and the same day their babies are being driven seven. We've heard stories of 12 to 15 miles back into the park or um, not just back into the park, from inside the park up to the processing facilities. So these park rangers just don't care. And they could change these dates around, but they just don't want to. I mean, the snow's gone. They want to get it over with for the summer 
tourist season. That's really what this seems to be all about is just getting it done in a timely fashion for them. They don't really seem to care about the well-being of the animals. And another thing is we didn't include too much of the footage because it was actually a lot harder to watch than even the Buffalo being executed. Um, Buffalo field campaign provided us with a lot of that archive footage of the bison in the park. They spend a lot of their time doing almost like undercover work where they follow them around with cameras. Cause that's the only tool they have to show the public. And, um, so they provided us with a lot of that footage, which was really nice. And we have, they have a lot of footage of the bison being processed at Stevens Creek for slaughter. And there's video of them just prodding bison for no reason. Bison that are just beat up and bloody everywhere because they just want to get it over with. And they're just not treating these animals very well. Yeah. So it's not even, even if you make the argument, this has to happen, even if it still does not get through to that part. I don't even know how to really respond to that when I hear it. Yeah. Um, when we were, it's funny cause there's just tons and tons of this footage from Stevens Creek. But when we got invited to the media day, which was, I think two weeks ago now, um, the Buffalo field campaign has footage in every single year. They're screaming and prodding the cattle for or bison for no reason. They have them running around in tiny pins all stirred up, which isn't necessary. And when we went down there, it was just dead silent. They were using um, like plastic broom handle sticks as opposed to the big, like sharpened almost gaff things they normally use. They were being very polite. So they were just really putting on a show like, no one had ever seen that footage of what they really do when the, the press isn't there. Well, and that's that's something in the, the animal welfare and advocacy world that we see frequently is, uh, again, when we do uh, our work with uh, f- uh, fur farms where they, they're effectively industrialized uh, processing plants. Um, and there will be one out of 50 where they say, well, the media can come check it out. And that's the one where they keep it clean and sunny and everything else. But if you even look in the direction of the other ones, it's no, you can't go there. You got to stay here. Yeah. It it does reveal something about the intent, I think. Absolutely. They had this in a tiny little box and um, it was almost just kind of silly when they were driving in the bison to one of the processing pens. So they had, when we got there, the bison were all in a, a very large holding area. They have to get them to a smaller area so they can process them and deal with them down the chutes and whatnot. Um, they have to drive them up, so they use men on horseback, and they had a Ford Bronco, which they were using to scare them up, too. They actually parked our bus directly into the sun. I mean, it was just an open field, and they chose that one spot where the sun was peeking up the canyon and uh, had dirty windows on the bus. So it was almost impossible to film us or have us film them doing that driving, which kind of never looks good if you don't know what's going on. So they really know what they're up to when it comes to that press stuff. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com 
or call 416-750-9453. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from herd filmmaker Justin Keatser. And, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the technical stuff. Um, we'll, we'll get over to the Kickstarter side of it uh, at the end. But um, you're one of the things I find very interesting is you're the first one I've seen where you're talking about using the 4K uh, video uh, stuff, uh, video technology, which is relatively new. Uh, or at least to my understanding, it's relatively new. It's becoming more and more prevalent in the consumer world. Um, why is it important to you and your team to be using that exceptionally high quality visual uh, equipment? So there's been a couple documentaries made on this in the past, and they never seem to gain much traction. Um, one of them is like I think about 15 minutes long, and then another was a Animal Planet show episode called Buffalo Wars or something along those lines. And the shows never seem to gain much traction. Our goal is to get this on Netflix and really just have it kind of out there for the public. And if we shoot it in 4K, it's going to look good for the next 10, 20 years. So we don't want this project to age as quickly as shooting it in um, standard HD might. So we want it to look as good. And we'd also really like to show people just the beauty of Yellowstone. Not everyone gets to go there. And we are able to use these relatively affordable cameras to show just how pretty it is out there. And we want to take advantage of that too and show... I mean, buffalo are just gorgeous creatures and seeing them in their big herds and them stampede is just, it's something you have to see in person. And 4K is the closest we can get to in person for everyone that isn't able to get out there themselves. Absolutely. Um, and that's, I, I've, I've tried to explain to people, to me, the a similar type of feeling is uh, hearing pipes and drums going down the streets in a major city. Um, yeah. Bef- like during a, a big proper parade when they're around the corner and you feel the drums before you see or hear anything. And to me, it's, it's a very similar sensation. Just, it's very awe inspiring. Um, Absolutely. And you can't quite capture it, um, but that's, it makes sense to go for the best, best possible. And Kickstarter um, is becoming popular for a lot of reasons. Um, but I know one of the things that's very appealing to a lot of filmmakers like yourself is that you don't really have that, and I'm going to say corporate overlord and sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it, it, that same kind of production manager looming over you at all times. Is is that part of the appeal for you? Oh, absolutely. We actually had talked to some investors before we went through Kickstarter because an investor is pretty much a sure thing. Um, I don't know, unless a case of like Cowspiracy or something where you get too controversial and just, they decide to pull the plug. And that's actually something that we were concerned about. Um, even when you go to the super green, like outdoor clothing companies and whatnot, who really look like they're protecting the environment, you still have to worry about pissing off like a California lobbyist, which in turn comes back to them. So they're, even when they're they're they have the best intentions, they still have to worry about investors and they still have to worry about dollar signs. So at the Kickstarter community, 
we have all the creative control and we can really show what's actually happening. Um, if I capture something with my camera, I don't feel like I should have to hide it from people because our investor doesn't like it. And with Kickstarter, we have that control and we don't have to worry about mm -hmm. that so much. And uh, there's a couple of the tiers on the Kickstarter I want to talk about. And one of them, and I, I, again, I have not seen this and it's very possible that I, I am just far too closed off to Kickstarter and all those kinds of things. Uh, but is the beautiful one-of-a-kind Polaroid picture. I think that's just very cool, of uh, uh, just a great idea. Uh, where did that come from? My partner actually got his start um, in film photography, and it's still kind of a passion of his. And he has this little Fujifilm Instax camera that he just loves, and it's, it's actually it's a pretty cool camera. It's just a goofy little looking Polaroid. It's got the classic leather look to it, though, but it's a nice little thing. And I we thought it would be kind of cool if people had a picture that was just a one of a kind and they're not too expensive. The film has come down quite a bit. So it's just something that we can provide to people that's unique. And, you know, as a kid, I would travel around with the parents and take pictures with Polaroid. So it just had a good feel to it. And we thought it was something that people would really appreciate it. Well, and I think one of the things that kind of is emerging again, just in terms of tone and everything you're doing is this heritage concept again, because when you talk about Buffalo, you think back to, to, you know, pre-settler times when they truly were the face of this continent. So the Polaroid to me just has a bit more of a rustic feel, as silly as that sounds, considering, you know, I, I think I still have my Polaroid camera kicking around too, but uh, it does sort of add that little bit of uh, uh, niceness to it. Yeah, and if anybody's ever shot on film, which I'm sure quite a bit of your listener base has, um, you tend to take a little more care when you take a film picture and... We wanted people to maybe just have something that was a little more personal like that because you can just sit and snap a digital camera all day that you can take 5,000 pictures with. But when each one has to come out and develop and you look at it, it's just a little bit different. So we thought that was kind of cool. Uh, of course, the, for 10,000, you can be an executive producer, uh, which is always fun. Um, and then you can tell everyone I'm a producer and see how that works for you. Uh, the the part that I, again, it's one of the enjoyable ones. Um is at the uh, the five thousand seventy five hundred? You've got very personalized involved. So the five thousand is spending forty eight hours on location filming with the crew, um, and then the next one up is uh, going to the premiere and going out to dinner. Um, it, it, again, it seems to me that you're trying to make this a very personal, connected experience for people from the using 4k to try and bring them into the scene with you straight through to how you're composing your kickstarter campaign yeah each and every one of the people that give us money is just it's absolutely huge um we really appreciate it uh, a lot of people maybe will never get a chance to be on a movie set or go backcountry camping in yellowstone so that's something we wanted to offer to people um who someone who's really in like supportive of this idea or really wanted to support the Buffalo and get the message out there. Maybe they wanted to come out and see how we do everything. And we thought that's something that maybe the average person can't pull together themselves. It's a lot easier when you live in Montana and you're used to it and camping in negative 40. But when you're not used to that, um, <laughs> having someone to kind of help you could really be a, a, big help. So we thought that's something we could include. And as far as the bigger prizes go, yeah, I mean, 
we want our supporters to be around. We want them to be involved. Um, honestly, if they came out, I'd probably let them run the camera because someone may never get that chance to shoot a scene for a feature length movie. I mean, that, we think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, and and uh, finally, what do you hope will happen? I mean, I, I'm going to presume you're going to get funded for this because I think it looks like an absolutely great, great project. Uh, and I fully intend on seeing it when it's available. Uh, maybe not in Montana because, you know, nonprofit writer. Um, but I, I, I definitely will contribute myself and I, I hope many of our supporters do. But what do you think, like what, what do you hope will happen as a result of this film hitting the masses? We want people to be aware. I want to, like, I called my mother to see if she was aware of the Buffalo situation. And she's an animal activist and she actually had no idea, which to me seems kind of sad because not to slam any groups, but she's a member and on the boards of some very large um, animal protection groups and very active. And, and she had no idea. So we want people to be aware because that's the first step um, to anything. And a lot of the documentaries of the last couple of years seem to have had a really big impact. And at the least we would just like to maybe even start a conversation Um <laughs> Why is the livestock industry essentially killing Yellowstone buffalo? That when you put those words together, it doesn't make any sense. And we want people to just even question that. So if we can start anything, if we can support the local groups like the Buffalo Field Campaign and maybe get them more funding and more support, um, that would be great for us. Obviously, if we can inspire some big change and really have people questioning and having some laws changing and maybe aphids gets called out that brucellosis isn't as big of a deal as they say it is. That would be awesome, but I'm not expecting that, but I'm still hopeful for it. To learn more about the film and how you can get involved with the Kickstarter campaign, please follow the links on this week's Defender Radio blog. That's the show for this week, folks. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.